folks, wokeness is not just a religion. It is in your religion. Today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier of freedom. It's our platform where we talk about faith, politics, and commerce, where we analyze current events from biblical and common sense perspectives. I'm so glad you knocked. The door is open and we have answered. Come on in and welcome to The Grid. Hey, Sean. So good to see you again on The Grid. After much technical difficulty, yes, same here. Yes, having a little difficulty today, but that's okay. Technology will not stop us. Well, today we have a very no. important topic, but before we get into that, let's do a quick recap on this week's news and review. Okay, as I run through my iPad here and I'm looking at some of the stories on the news wires, some of them won't be shocking as always, and some of them were like, wow. How far have we come? So the first thing that's up on the docket here is really, I'm going to say this. If you don't think liberals live by the mantra that ends justifies all means, then you are not paying attention. As we look from Maine to California, Colorado, all of these deep blue states that are trying to remove Trump from the ballot to make decisions through the courts that should be made by the people at the election boxes, at the polling places. Well, the latest one is Colorado, and Colorado is actually making it to the Supreme Court. So as I read this, um, the real issue at hand and why Colorado is trying to do this is because they believe that Tres President Trump committed insurrection on January the 6th, and that that makes him constitutionally ineligible to be reelected president. Now, never mind that Trump hasn't been convicted. Yes, he's been charged by some whacked out DAs that are coming after him, but he hasn't been convicted regarding anything related to January the 6th, yet that is being used as justification. That's what's crazy um, about these moves. And I think it's this, the liberals are absolutely freaked out that President Trump has a shot at winning the election. So what way, better way to stop him than to not allow him to, be e to even be able to be voted? Um, well, that's pretty crazy into me. It just, it reminds me of Padme from the Star Wars trilogies. Apparently, democracy does die with thundering applause. So speaking of primaries, especially the GOP, there's Trump and there's everyone else. And that everyone else is a tiny, tiny, tiny minority led by Nikki Haley. Folks, this race is over. Come on, let's get over it. That's not who I wanted. I wanted DeSantis. But once he suspended his campaign, this is absolutely over. Um. Speaking, though, of the primary race being over, here's something that I'm really concerned about related to not only the primary season, but the general election. Um, apparently, the, G the GOP, the national GOP, has a fundraising crisis. They, they raised one-third of the cash in December that the Democrats did, and they have one-third of the cash on hand that the Democrats did. They are way, way behind. And part of it is because the Democratic, Democratic National Committee has aligned itself with the Biden campaign, and therefore the Biden campaign apparently has done pretty well. I can't believe uh, that, that people are giving Biden cash, but I guess that is what it is. I, I What I don't get is how over and over and over the GOP seems to snatch uh, defeat from the jaws of victory. Joe Biden could not be a weaker candidate. 
He could not. Yet we are giving him political life that he neither deserves nor should have at all. If you live in a swing state, I'm telling you right now, get involved, donate, do something with the Republican Party. Do not sit on the sidelines or this is just as much your fault as everyone else. So this is not political news, but it's still kind of crazy. I just it just caught caught my eye as I was scrolling to the newswire. And it more speaks to the crazy times we're in. Did you know that Oklahoma has had uh, seven earthquakes in the last two weeks? Most people don't realize that. In fact, the one last week actually hit 5.1 on the Richter scale. That's pretty strong. Maybe it's not California strong, but it's still pretty strong. Now, there are some cynical folks who are who are actually espousing this is a conspiracy theory. It's not actually an earthquake. It rather... It's just the ground vibration from the hundreds of thousands of Californians escaping to Florida, driving through Oklahoma. Not sure if it's true, but just saying. Okay, so let's talk uh, about the Middle East for a second. This week really highlights the escalating temperature in the Middle East, from the Iranian drone strikes that killed some American soldiers to now the U.S. and Britain are attacking 36 different Houthi strongholds and targets. There's nothing, there's anything but peace going over there. Yet, only months ago in September and very early in October, Anthony Blinken and John Kirby were touting how the Middle East, the peace in the Middle East, was at levels that had not been seen in decades. And then, of course, days later on October the 7th, that's when the Hamas terrorists attacked Israel and started committing all these atrocities. And it's completely been a crap show since then. And now Anthony Blinken this past week said, well, the unrest in the Middle East um, is at a level that we haven't seen since 1973. Uh, so newsflash to our State Department. The Middle East is a powder keg. It has been a powder keg. It will continue to be a powder keg, if not for several reasons. Number one, we know it from Scripture. This is the epicenter of the end times. We know that for sure. But we also know it because it's just a dangerous place and that it is inhabited by terrorists. And terrorists, by definition, are opportunists. The only reason there's an illusion of peace from time to time is because the terrorists haven't found a recent opportunity to exploit and to throw out their terror and chaos. So either our intelligence community uh, is completely failed as an embarrassment, or this administration has drunk the delusional Kool-Aid that peace can be attained by intellectual nice words and following Iran on Facebook. Just saying. And even more concerning when we talk about the Middle East is that China is now trying to position its position itself as a peace broker. And they're saying and openly to other countries that they want to step in because the U.S. is not well positioned to do so because the U.S. is doing nothing but displaying weakness. Well, I can't argue with that. It is true that we're displaying weakness. This administration is not positioned for strength at all. They wouldn't even know how to spell strength. Now, that's not to say the U.S. isn't capable. Absolutely, the U.S. is capable. But as always, like a broken record, leadership matters. What I'm really concerned about in all of this, it's not the Middle East. God's got Israel. What I'm concerned about is Taiwan. If I was, if I was China, I'd be making my move now, well before the elections. So lastly, can I just say this? For all the Democrats' talk of being against racism and against all this... Some, uh, this, you know, this anti-Semitic behavior um, where you have minority groups being attacked. How in the world can the Democratic Party even justify the existence of Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Cori Bush? 
These are the most anti-Semitic people you will ever see from Minnesota, Missouri, Michigan. You three states should be ashamed of yourselves for electing these people. They continue to tout the quote-unquote genocide being committed by Israel when we, in reality, we know Hamas are the terrorists. Maybe we should do some deep dives into some of these folks sometimes, including Ilhan Omar, the Somalia-born Sunni Muslim representing Minnesota. Yes, you heard that correctly. Folks, for this week's News and Review, that's a wrap. So, Sean, let's dive into our topic today, which is going to be quite, uh, maybe not polarizing is the right word, but certainly provocative. And that is the idea of woke Christianity. When you hear that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, God. There's, an, there's all kinds of stuff. There's, you know, somebody sleeping in bed and it's like they're groggy. They're not thinking straight. and the gospel? What is that? Well, that that's certainly one view, uh, but that's not the kind of wokeness that I'm talking about. In fact, the wokeness of Christianity or Christianity having woked up, I think it would have better been better if we'd stayed asleep. Because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the cultural phenomenon of wokeness. The very thing that I would say to some degree is tearing apart our social fabric now has completely entered the faith conversation. So I have an article here in front of me. In fact, I would say our entire time together today is really based on this article, but it, the impacts are much larger than this. So it starts with Wheaton College. You ever heard of Wheaton College? Oh, yes. Uh, some people refer to it as the Harvard of Christian schools. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but Wheaton College is in Chicago, so it's already got two strikes against it in uh in my mind, uh, that's not a, that, that's certainly front line for faith necessity, if you ask me. Although, although Moody College seems to be doing okay, it's in Chicago as well. So I'm reading this article, and you're going to see me refer to it multiple times. Um, apparently, this college is being called out because it is mimicking wokeness within the university when it's supposed to be this bastion of conservative faith. So here are some of the things that I read in this article that are actually happening. Biblical words are being banned. Critical race theory is being openly taught. Uh, gender identity is being psychologized. I'm not even sure how to pronounce it. Psychologizing gender identity issues. Um, part of the, the average academia. And this is a university that houses the works of Billy Graham, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien. Um, but apparently this is not a recent drip. So when I tell you about that, are you surprised or had you already heard about this? I think I heard a smidgen of it like last year, but it was one of those things where it kind of passed up and, and I really didn't take notice at the time. Well, Apparently, this started back even quite a few years ago when um, 78 faculty members actually expressed support for a professor who stated that Christians and Muslims essentially just worship the same God um, at this university. Now, I part of me understands maybe what that professor was getting at, but clearly we're not talking. I mean, you, you can't have God without Christ. And if you don't have Christ, I mean, Jesus said, did he not, 
that if you deny me, you deny he who sent me. And if you do that, then we're really not worshiping the same God of the same faith. Would you agree with that? Very much so. <laughs> it seems rather patently obvious throughout scripture. Yeah, it does. And yet as this article continues, it talks about that many of you Marxism and religious uh, syncretism and segregation are incompatible with religious teaching, with, with Christian teaching. Yet that's exactly what's happening. I would say here, here's a perfect example to me when I, I read this, I was like, wow, certain biblical words that are key to the face foundation, key to our face foundation is being banned. And here's an example, something known commonly as service. You and I would say, you know, Christ has called us to be what? Servants, right? Yeah. And so he's, he's called us to serve, but Wheaton now is instructing you to, with students to not use the word service. Why? Because it, they are told to use words called sacrificial co-laboring. And the reason is that they said the word service may invoke power dynamics across socioeconomic, racial, and cultural lines. Now, <laughs> I'm not even sure what that means, Sean, do you? <laughs> it means somebody's been smoking something on campus that they're going to have to repent of. <laughs> yeah, they've been token on some smoking, uh, on some woken. That <sighs> anytime I hear this phrase, a phrase like this, power dynamics across socioeconomic, racial, and cultural lines, that 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 is that is woke uh, language right there. That is woke vernacular. We can't use this word. I'm I'm going to put it in Chris's words. We can't use the word service because we might offend somebody. Uh, really? Okay. No one seems worried about offending me as a Christian. Exactly. And it's completely, utterly ridiculous. So if you just, you, you, you continue to read through this, it says um, another word found in numerous Bible translations is also out, out the window, and that's mankind. That word is now prohibited at Wheaton because the very definition of man and woman is on, on shaky ground. So we can't, we can't use mankind. Um, so that, that is one, one particular example, um, which, which that one really concerns me because you start getting into gender neutrality and you're literally bringing this stuff full bore into the faith. And you say, we can't preach the word of God as it was written because we got to adapt it to culture. Sean, do you have any thoughts or response to that? Well, that's where you slip on the banana peel and right out of scripture. Complete, you're gone. That is, you leave the foundation of scripture, then the rest of it is total baloney. You know, this article continues as I read it. To, it, it there's issues of queer theory here that are being talked about, postmodernism, transgenderism roots, all kinds of issues with sex, gender, gender and sexuality. All of this is being really attacked at Wheaton College as they move to a, I don't want to say curriculum, but sort of a mindset. They move to a mindset that appeals to this liberal crowd. Is this the right thing to do? Absolutely not. Anytime that we start making adjustments to the gospel or how we present the gospel uh, simply because of culture, when culture starts calling the shots, the gospel suffers. Now, there's a difference between adapting what you're doing in order to reach a certain group of people 
by doing something different, like instead of, you know, instead of having a concert where you, you know, you come have everybody come into the church, there's a park that you can go to that they love together. So you, you take that music ministry down to the park. There's a difference between apt adapting your approach and having the culture change your content. You know, I, I think that's really important. And I, I will tell you, I had um, a great conversation with a pastor recently, and we weren't talking about this issue. We were really talking about uh, the subject of healing and various doctrines. And he said something that really impacted me. He said that the problem is, is that people take their experience and they want to make doctrine out of it rather than taking scripture and making doctrine out of that. And in some ways, I'd see the same thing happening with culture. We want to impact the culture. We're experiencing pushback in the culture. So we're allowing that experience to now impact doctrine. Do you see it that way? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's a really good way to put it. Well, in this Fox News article, it's not mentioned, but it is something that came to mind. I don't know if the Lord brought it to my mind, but I was thinking about it as you and I are having this discussion, and it's this idea of black liberation theology. I don't know if you've you've heard that term before. I think we may have done a podcast on that uh, a couple of years ago, but it was something that it was said that President Obama inherently subscribed to, that he was a big believer in black liberation theology, that it was taught extensively at the church he attended with uh, Pastor, or is it Pastor Reverend Jeremiah Wright? But here's what it taught. And this is well, actually, before I tell you what it's taught, I'm gonna I'm gonna first set the uh, the level ground. Why did Jesus go to the cross? I'm asking you that, Sean. You're asking me. Oh, well, he went to the cross because there needed to be a sacrifice once for all, and it needed to be him. And and by whose will or instruction did Jesus need to do that? Well, it was by the Father, but since the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all in cahoots and one in the same, it was His will. It was His will. I didn't. I. I. I was tempting you there just to see if you'd take the bait and dive into uh, micro analysis, so to speak. But you're absolutely right, Sean. Um, Jesus went to the cross to be the once and for all sacrificial lamb for the sins of all of mankind, past, present and future. And Jesus did that by the will of the Father. In fact, did he not pray, Lord, if there's any way, take this cup from me, but thy will be done. Those are the words I've read. Are those the words that you've read in scripture? Indeed. Indeed. Which, and, and, and sorry to interrupt, but that shows that he was at the same time, God, he was also human. He set aside his uh, his abilities, so to speak, his properties as God in order to be man because he had to be man and live a sinless life. 33 years without sin in order to be a qualified sacrifice for us. The um, right now they're looking at the uh, they're looking at red heifers in order to be able to begin building the new temple. 
And the red heifers, if they get one white hair on them, they're disqualified. So Jesus had to live a life without sin, and he did it for 33 years. Yeah, I think some of us would just aspire to 33 seconds. Um, in fact, I might even think about when off camera, how we were talking about some of the technology that we were uh, struggling with. I would say that maybe we didn't walk a sinless path even in that conversation. So let me steer us back to black liberation theology. The reason I wanted to set that baseline, Sean, is because the movement of Jeremiah Wright that Obama subscribed to is that the primary reason Jesus went to the cross is because the, the aristocracy of white supremacy and elitism had the ruling class of that day turned him into a complete victim. And he was victimized by the, not only the social, but the political class. That is what black liberation theology teaches. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who, I, I, who was the victim? Jesus. Oh, gosh. But it, it's more, so you could say, he, here's what you, you, you could say, um, which is maybe that's the tactic or the pathway in which how Jesus entered the cross. But you and I both know the reason he was on the cross is because it was the will of the Father and because Jesus was obedient to the will of Father. There is no other reason. How it happened, who arrested him, you can have those conversations all day long. But the reason he was at the cross is because of the will of the Father. But, but that, that whole liberation theology teaches something different. It's like, no, actually, Jesus was a victim of this political elite class. Well, what happens is you start believing that. Does that not change the entire message of the New Testament, of the good news, of the sacrificial lamb? I mean, it, it certainly does in my mind, Sean. Well, I mean, it has to in order for them to continue on with that trajectory. It's, wow, what a bunch of crap. Yeah, it, it really is. It, it, it's a mess. But the reason I shared that with you is because that is an example of wokeness where experience, philosophy of the day enters into now becoming doctrine, just like Wheaton College is doing in other aspects, whether it be transgenderism or sexuality or wokeness of other kinds. It's all the same. It's saying we're going to take this gospel that as we know is the inspired word of God that is unadulterated, the, the living breath of God, and we're going to take it and we're going to mold it, we're going to shape it, we're going to bend it, sometimes remove it or add to it in order to fit what we think is the social norm of the day. At least that's how I see it. Well, I mean, yeah, everything that I've read about it, everything that I've heard about it totally lines up with what you just said. And that's why it's a complete travesty. I mean, it falls under the scripture that talks about uh, people going after those who would uh, who will tickle their ears. Yeah, it's almost, gosh, I hate to say it this way, Sean, but it's almost a generation of Christians who are light on meat, heavy on milk, and are tossed to and fro by whatever the doctrine of the day is. And in reality, Indeed. I'm thinking... I'm thinking, how do we approach this? Because there is a balance between truth and love. You cannot have one and the other. Because when I see truth and love, I also see justice and mercy. Mercy, mercy is a close, 
close cousin of love and truth is a close cousin of justice. You cannot really experience God's mercy without truly understanding his justice and his holiness. You just can't. You cannot fully grasp God's love for you and his mercy for you and his grace for you unless you understand his holiness and his, his uh, not just his desire, the fact that there has to be justice for sin. Well, I, unfortunately, what I'm seeing in Chris, I mean, we've, we've seen the, the pendulum swing both ways, right? Um, we've seen society currently has really swung towards it's all grace. And if you go back 50 years, it was about ju justice and judgment and hell, fire, brimstone. I mean, there were, there were certainly that was being preached quite a bit. And the truth is you, get, you have to teach both. You have to demonstrate both. You have to model both. But to do that, you have to walk in both. And I think the more Christians that I talk to that we struggle with that, Sean, I think we struggle to walk in lockstep of both truth, unwavering truth and commitment to the gospel but also to love our neighbor ourself at the same time. How, how do you see it? No, I, I totally agree. There, there's a line. And, you know, I think like for me, I know this is going to sound like it's coming out of left field, but it's like, to me, I think a lot of, a lot of Democrats have the gift of mercy and that's why they apply it the wrong way. What happens is, you can't, you should not, it is unwise to apply mercy to the unrepentant because mercy applied to unrepentance is free reign to do to, for lawlessness. Whereas for the person who has repented and you can see, I mean, the woman uh, caught in the act of adultery, well, you can't commit adultery by yourself. Okay, where's the dude? Okay, and it was very obvious that it was a dude. Okay, otherwise they wouldn't have called it that, right? So she got caught. They got caught, but somehow he got away. He could see her repentance. It's not spelled out verbatim or word for word that way, but he said, go and sin no more. He forgave her and he applied mercy where justice called for her to be stoned right then. Yeah, I, you know, when I think about examples, that is the first one that comes comes to my mind. And I just, I also want to just uh, clarify, because I think I know your heart in this. You, you said mercy not being applied to the unrepentant. It's available to the unrepentant, but it only comes into play when you repent and receive it, correct? Yes, yes, thank you. I, that's what I was trying to drive at. Or the I, I, person I, I, who has repented. I knew that was the case, but I want to make sure that our listeners didn't hear us say that, um, yeah, you, you repent and you have mercy. No one else gets it. Well, it's actually available for all. But truly, you can only walk in it if you're repentant to understand that you need it in the first place. Well, yeah, because the unrepentant, when you give them you give them mercy, you that's what happened uh, as of this recording a few days ago. In New York City, illegal aliens uh, pummeled and beat up two defend uh, two officers who couldn't defend themselves because they're not allowed to have nightsticks anymore. Um, and then they go to they go to jail. They get out with no bail, 
and they walk out of jail scot-free because we applied mercy. And what are they doing? They're flipping. He's This guy is flipping everybody off, flipping off the cameras as he's walking away. I saw that. And uh, my father, David, and I were, were talking about that very thing tonight. And it is hard. As a Christian, it's hard not to get angry. It's it hard not to want to fight fire with fire. And yeah. I, and, and again, this comes back to, to truth and love and, and justice and mercy. Um, it's not easy to apply because there's something that gets in the way of that. It's called the flesh. And when mm -hmm. you're not a believer, you don't even know that it exists. And when you are a believer, you're still fighting it because your flesh doesn't like any of that. Your flesh wants to, as you put it, wants to really gravitate towards mercy that has no truth in it, or it wants to gravitate towards justice, self-righteous justice with no love. Why? Because that's exactly how the enemy distorts and taints and deceives something that God meant for good, which was, was the, uh, the perfect blend of justice and mercy, and the enemy wants to take it and distort it and use it for destruction. So, Sean, as, as we close our time together today and we just highlight, you know, we, we started with Wheaton College. You and I both know that this is running rampant through the church right now. Both this idea that some are just uh, very strong on justice, but many have gravitated towards mercy and even false teaching in order to placate the culture of the day. So, Sean, as we, as, as we do bring this close, let's bring it back around to Wheaton College. You're standing in front of the president, the board of regents, whatever they call them. And you're asked to comment on the very topic that we've been discussing today. What do you say to them? Sir, you need to repent. You know what the gospel says. And if you have let go of what the gospel actually says, then you need to get back to the scripture. And you need to take everything that you have been working in and that you have been applying for the last year or so and chuck it. You need to go back to the gospel, and then you need to apply what you see there to all of your processes and your procedures. You got you gotta you have to do that. The thing that came to mind while we were praying just before as we were getting ready for this, we were praying. Um, because talk about being in a wrong mindset. You can be in a wrong mindset. I was in a horrible mindset before we started this recording. But then, okay, then here we are, we're praying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's going to take 30 minutes to get through all this stuff. And it's like, Chris, take over. So, but, and so as you're praying for us about this recording, it hits me. We have got to be mindful that if we truly believe the word of God, then when we pray over, let's say Wheaton College, for instance, we can call them to repent. Scripture tells us that uh, the footsteps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And that college is dedicated to him. We have the authority as believers in Jesus Christ to call them to repentance. 
Even though we might not physically be able to go there and say repent, we can in the Spirit. We need to be mindful. Yes, yes, the, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We also need to keep in mind that the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the tearing down of strongholds. And right now, Wheaton College has a stronghold, but that stronghold cannot stand. Um, the gates of hell cannot stand against the church. And the church is the body of Christ. And we are members of the body of Christ. So the gates of hell cannot withstand us. We can call Wheaton College back into alignment, back into the kingdom in the name of Jesus. We've got to remember that. Yeah, I really like that because you're you're like, let's 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 take this uh I should probably do that again. So I just I just hit my mic. Yeah, I really I really like that, Sean, because I think what you're saying is rather than try to accomplish something through uh words and deeds in the flesh, we can operate through the spirit and really call them to repentance and let the Lord deal with them. And as, I, and as I think of standing before Wheaton College, here, here's what I don't do well, and I wish I did. I wish I was better at it. Um, is to stand in that space and say, you need to repent. You need to repent because this is really false doctrine, and you're going to be held accountable because you're leading others astray in this doctrine. And for that group of folks or the president to push back and to be able to say this, this is what I desire to be able to say, and this is how I think the Lord has called me to say it, and say, yeah, I, I hear that. And you still need to repent. I hear what you're saying, and it, it is wrong. I just disagree with you. And I can back mine up in scripture. Can can you? And to be able to have that kind of dialogue and say, I disagree with you. I'm going to call you to repentance. But I don't have to be disagreeable. I'm not going to call you, um, you know, I'm not going to call you names and do what the left does. But I'm going to stand firm on the truth. I'm going to love you. But part of loving you is also telling you the truth. And that sometimes is hard. Right. And and the beauty of the Holy Spirit, one of the many things that's beautiful about him, is that we don't have to argue with that person until there's only one of us standing. We can speak the truth, and we can speak the truth calmly. And we can speak the truth calmly when we remember that he stands over his word to perform it. We can speak the truth. The scripture tells us that the, the, the sword of the Spirit is sharper than any two-edged sword. And when we speak the Word of God with purpose, we can trust that after we walk away, if they are still arguing about it in their hearts and in their heads, the Holy Spirit can keep touching them. Whoops. Sorry, Mike. Can keep touching them and touching them and touching them. When they lay their head down on that pillow or whatever it is they're going to sleep on that night, the Holy Spirit is there and he can work on them and work on them and work on them because it's the truth. The truth isn't going to change. In fact, I would say, Sean, let's just call our audience to action right now. As you hear this in the podcast, I want you to take a moment. I want you to lift up Wheaton College, and I want you to de declare the truth over that college. I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit would convict and bring the university, its faculty, its president, its board of regents into repentance, that they would preach the word of God.
Yeah, it's not hard. And and we're because we're I'm I'm fixing to do that right now. But there's one ingredient that you need to use when you do this. Expect it. Because you are you are literally declaring, decreeing, and praying the will of the Father. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we call Wheaton College to repentance. You love them, Father. You love them, Jesus. You love them, Holy Spirit. And because of love, we call them back to righteousness. We call them to repent and turn back to Christ Jesus. We declare and decree repentance over that college right now. We call them back into righteousness. We call them to once again preach the pure, unadulterated gospel. In the name of Jesus, we call them back to speaking clearly about Jesus and no other theology. Father, we believe you for their turnaround, and we ask that you would pour out your Spirit on all of them and draw them to you, whether they are uh, Christians who have gone astray or they are the lost who are yet to know you. We call them back to the kingdom. We call them into the kingdom, in the and we trust you in this, in the name of Jesus. Mm, amen, Sean. Amen. I think that's a great way to end the podcast today. Folks, wokeness is anti-Jesus. There's just no other way. It is the antichrist of antichrist. It just, wokeness is. Everything we need in scripture is there to live a productive life, to live a life of love and grace and mercy with those in our communities. Wokeness divides. So let's just leave that with you. Until next time. Next time.